GMGM, everyone. Bonjour. Guten Morgen. Dobro utro. Labrit. That is basically the way how we do it here in Web3 space in Europe. We're happy to have everyone on our weekly episode of Origins XYZ. The Web3 show about origins of the biggest OGs in the space with this European spirit, you know? We're live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. GMT, and as always, I'm your host, Nikita Tsikaluk, together with an outstanding co-host, brilliant Hannah, also known as Rekt Alice. Guys, make sure that you share this tweet. Make sure that you uh, like it, comment it with all your friends, with all your families, because today we, hope we have no one else but one and only, the true NFT god, the true NFT Dagon, O-S-F. He is back. Oh, my gosh. Obi, GM, GM. Hey, GM, guys. How's it going? Going amazing. Man, we're so happy you're back. Am I right, Hannah? I, you are right, Ovi. I, I really uh, was looking forward to today so much that I have to tell you that I was meant to be in Davos today and I rescheduled my flight to leave at an ungodly hour tomorrow morning because I knew we were doing the show and there's just so much that I want to ask and talk to you about because for me you are a real symbol of the Web3 ecosystem meaning that you really have a finger in every pie you you have the financial background to understand the crypto and the trading you have the uh, art background and you're actually an artist a successful artist that understands all the technicalities the marketing um the events and the community building that runs around that as well as doing a host of other things, investing in, in companies, um, advising, uh, being part of Rug Radio. I mean, there's just so, so much that you are part of in the Web3 ecosystem. And I just think that you've touched so many people. There isn't really, I can imagine, many people who are in the Web3 NFT art um, community that haven't had something to do with you or being influenced with you in some way so you've accomplished so so much in a really short space of time and there's just like a hundred questions that I have to ask you but to start off I really wanted to ask you just to tell us because I know that people know a little bit but your rug radio show which has been the GM you know web three which has been the staple of my life for like two years now has um you you don't get to really talk about yourself right you're giving the updates you're giving the market analysis always brilliantly which also takes a lot of time don't know how you fit it all in and um and you're talking to guests but we very rarely hear about you and I really wanted to start off by asking you today just a bit about your background and how you know you got to where you are today like you know just just who are you ob and how did you get to be osf and uh this amazing um you know influencer in web3 that we see in front of us today uh well thanks for the in- intro hannah it's quite uh quite flattering i don't think i've had a, an intro that good before so thanks for that um it's recorded so you can use it now <laughs> <laughs> great um and uh yeah it feels it feels a little, as you mentioned i'm usually we're usually interviewing guests on our show so it feels a little bit weird to be 
on the other side of the fence. Um, and I'm not sure which one I prefer, but I guess I'll just make that decision at the end of the show. <laughs> but um, yeah, to answer your question, um, how did I get into Web3 and where did I start? So I've been a crypto skeptic for many years. I think the first time I heard about, first time I heard about um, Bitcoin was actually in 2012 when I was in Thailand and some guy was like telling us about Silk Road and how you can like order assassinations on people using Bitcoin and stuff. It was, it was a little bit weird. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and the next time I saw people really push it to me was 2017. And I think I just, just about got myself to try and buy some, but I couldn't set up my Coinbase account. It didn't really work. And obviously everything puked in 2018. And then I was just like, okay, cool. I just, I think I just like, um, Mr. Mr. Bullet there, but you know, since since 2012, I I was working at Barclays as a, as a trader. So in that environment, when you work in an investment bank, you're taught to analyze things in a very like calculated way, using models, using fundamental analysis, using technical analysis. And so it was really hard for me to ever justify crypto because it was just the value of it was basically the value that people deemed it to be, and it wasn't there wasn't really any real rationale that i could quantify in my head for it so it took me a long time to actually really believe in it and get involved and the, the first time i bought bitcoin successfully bought bitcoin was actually 2021 and that was part of like a top-down view on inflation and i kind of like started to understand like the use of, of crypto a little bit more and i was like okay let me just get involved and, and buy some and, and be involved but then i bought ethereum and ether in, in 2021 as well in january and then we just stumbled onto NFTs because uh, myself and my friend Mando, we were looking at actually trying to maybe invest in art or wine or collectibles because they were good um, inflation-proof assets. And then we just stumbled on NFTs, which is basically like crypto plus collectibles. So it was like the best, we just felt it was the best potential thing to be involved in. And I guess we just got lucky. We caught it at the right time and around Feb, March 21. And uh, yeah, since then, everything everything took off quite a lot. I think we we had some good investments and stuff. And then um, we went from like trying to make money in the space to starting to actually believe in it and starting to understand um, how game changing this technology can be, like what the whole Web3 space really means and the communities in it and, and the people that we met through it. And by the end of 2021, we decided to leave our full-time jobs at Barclays and, and do this stuff full-time. So um that's yeah, I, story. I remember actually because we go back a bit and i remember when i met you you still weren't docs because you were actually working at barclays and doing all of this yeah. like in, i remember that but like you said when you first like invested in that bitcoin what was it that you know was there a moment for you or was it just you know you wanted to give it a shot like what was it that made you take that first step that was just the beginning of this entire new life for you no, I think it it really was, and I guess you know sometimes I hate on my old job a little bit, but I think when you do a job like that for ten years, you get to understand like how to trade, how to invest. That like you understand, you have a really good understanding of macroeconomics. And I think the, the, one of the most clear things to me in twenty twenty one was like, okay, inflation is going to keep going higher, and the Fed is not going to increase interest rates. And so, how do you actually monetize that? And actually, I was like trying to do that within. I was in New York at the time. And I was like looking through all the different companies that I traded and I was like, okay, which of these can I express that view in? There wasn't really anything that I traded in my book at, at Barclays that I could really express that view in effectively. So then I started looking at other stuff that I could do like on a personal basis. And um, it's just like 
you know, there's this idea of like commodities and gold, but I was like, okay, what what has more juice in it? And I started reading about Bitcoin, this idea of it being digital gold, this idea of scarcity, this idea of like um, current like um, currency devaluation of, of other stuff, and it just all those things finally made sense to me. But it only made sense to me in the context of the state of the world in 2021. And prior to that, I didn't really. I mean, I thought it had uses prior to that, but I didn't think those uses were that powerful. But in 2021, it all just made sense. And um, mm. I, I mean, I, I bought a little bit and then I just bought a lot of it in like a week later because it just, um, it, it in the context of 2021, it made a lot of sense to me. Do you ever have doubts? Because like, you know, around, whenever I speak, I call it to muggles, but I've even got like muggles in my family. Like we have conversations all the time and a lot of eye rolling. Um, you know, for, because the Web3, we we live in this ecosystem. So we believe like this is how everyone thinks. But actually, it's so tiny in comparison with most of the world. And you realize what, you know, a bubble we are living in. Do you, And you've literally, I think we can safely say, staked your entire sort of, you know, wealth and time and future in this, in belief of Web3. Do you ever have doubts about it? Do you ever worry about that? Or is this like you're in and that's it? It's a good question. Um, as it stands right now, I don't have any doubts. I have zero doubts. Um, I think this idea of Web3, I mean, it already is huge. Like every single legacy brand has a metaverse division or a web3 division they're all trying to figure out how they can utilize it so i have zero doubts at this stage i think when i first started i did have doubts i was like okay i've bought all these jpegs and it's been fun but when the market starts to turn you're suddenly wondering like you know has a bunch of people just got together and um painted this narrative and you know pumped their own bags and then sold what they had and you're let you're the one left holding this thing that doesn't really have any true value and i went through that thought process many many times last year mm. and i think the reality is like you can believe in web3 and you can believe in all this stuff but that doesn't mean like every single thing that you can buy every single asset that you can buy will be a good trade or will be a good investment and um sometimes sometimes those doubts cross my mind on certain things that i own where it's like well i was really sure about this but now i'm not really sure because i don't know if this team is good or if there's going to be demand for this whatever but i think the overarching idea of Web3 and being in Web3 and working full-time in Web3, I think is still a massive growth prospect and I think it's still a huge opportunity and, and I'm, you know, I couldn't be more sure of that right now. I think a pivotal point for, for me watching your growth trajectory and I'm sure like your background in trading distressed assets, you know, had a lot to do with the your ability to read the markets and I mean so so profoundly so that you know you have thousands of people logging in and reading your you know daily market updates because of the you just have this uncanny inability and I'm sure you don't realize it because you just take it for granted but you really do have an uncanny ability to read the markets and 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 you know concisely summarize where we are um, each day without really advising too much but just saying it as it is and it, it's really helpful uh, to people like me and I think a lot of listeners and, and fans who you know really rely on your, your updates so you know I think your background just definitely put you in the right place but I think there was a turning point when you decided to actually become an artist 
And that for me has been the most amazing uh, journey to watch because you've not only really you I mean there's so much to talk about here I don't even know where to start but you first of all I am a huge fan I actually really deeply love your work not just because you're a friend but I really profoundly love your pieces especially your you know your one of ones they're just amazing you know which one's my favorite and one day I will buy it Carnaby Street I love it but I love all your one of ones but also you've you've almost single-handedly and I'm sure Mando had a part of it but created this whole subculture of Wreck Guy which very much captured a moment and you literally milked that for all it was worth and capitalized it and have launched an entire brand as well as become this artist at the same time so that was like a a real turning point and I wanted to ask you a bit about how that happened like what what happened? You were you were not at all like an artist. You were very much involved in the Web3 and the, the finance side and investing. And then all of a sudden you became a, a you know, a popular artist. And, and almost that's kind of taken over in a way, your identity. I can actually, how, how did that I happen? I can actually add to what yeah. Anna just said, because I remember Ovi being one of the first hosts at uh, Rag Radio a year ago. Like, yeah, about a year ago. And Ovi becoming an artist and being more involved into uh, supporting emerging artists. Like uh, over a month ago, we all came to Paris to Ledger Open, uh, where one of Ovi's pieces were actually out there. And later on, uh, it was airdrop to all attendees. So it's like an amazing journey to follow as a friend, uh, as a Web3 advocate from the side. So definitely congrats on this one. And I'm, I'm extremely intrigued to hear what Ovi has to say about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. It just, I don't really know. It just kind of randomly happened. I, don't, I know like it might seem now that everything is very well calculated and we're all structured and all this kind of stuff. But um, it was when I quit, my job in December of last, in December of 21, and I started in January 22, the idea was not to be an artist or create another NFT project or do any of that stuff. Um, the idea was mainly to focus on trading stuff and, and investing stuff. So it was a weird kind of pivot that I think happened. Uh, I would say it happened organically, but like I used to, from in, in the art side of things, like I used to create a lot of digital art when I was a teenager and there was a platform back then, which still exists, called DeviantArt, and it had a whole online art community, etc. And I used to just spend all my time when I was younger doing that kind of stuff. So when I came into NFTs, it all felt quite natural to me because it was something that I feel like I'd done before, maybe like 10 years ago or 15 years ago, whatever it was. And I didn't really start out creating any art straight away because, number one, I hadn't done it for over a decade. And I could just see like the quality and the thing of what people were producing and the talent out there was so huge. I never really thought I could, I would be good enough to compete with any of these people or be good enough to create something that people would want to buy. And it was just a time thing as well. Like I never working full time as a trader and then doing this stuff on the side. I just never really would have had the time to do that kind of stuff. But um, I sort of was growing an itch to try and draw something or create something and see if I could use the tools that people use today to create some art. So um, I think the first piece that I made was in September 21 and it was just a one of one. It wasn't even animated. I put it on foundation and someone bought it for half of an ETH. I think the next piece, next one of one I did, well, actually 
traded lower. <laughs> Someone bought it for 0 0.190 ETH. And the third piece I did was the first one that I think I made that was animated and someone paid, I think, one ETH for it, which I, I was like, wow, like, I can't believe someone would want to pay one ETH for some random thing that I've made on my iPad. But I just really enjoyed doing it. Like when away from, so when you're like trading and stuff or looking at analyzing and looking at investments, it's all very like brain intensive and you're thinking in a certain type of way, which is very quantitative and when I was drawing random things on my iPad, I was like, oh, this is like another part of my brain that I haven't used or touched in such a long time. And I was really enjoying it. So I was just basically just doing that on the side and I would create a one of one every three or four weeks and put it on foundation. And I didn't even really try and market it that heavily because I was, by this point, I already had a following. So I was conscious that I didn't want people to think I was just like monetizing my following. So I just basically put it on foundation, send one tweet and that was it. Um, but you know, with each piece that I sold, as as the weeks went on, I guess each one went for a higher price. And I think the more more time I spent on it, the more I learned different techniques or kind of got the hang of it and was able to put the things that I had in my, in my head onto canvas effectively. And but yeah, I guess just each piece went higher and higher. And then before I knew it, by spring twenty spring twenty two, the the pieces were actually selling for a reasonable amount. And I created an addition, which was Red Light District, and that's where a community kind of formed and built around my art. And um, and then we did Ret Guy, which was only really like two months later in, in May of last year. So I'd only really been creating art for six months, but we did Ret Guy then, which I guess was like the the big one that got a lot of people on board and, and, and built a big, big community around that. So it was just something that I never really planned to do, but it's something that I definitely enjoyed doing. And I think as the success grew, I increasingly saw it as a more of an opportunity than the other stuff I was doing. And by about, I don't know, the end of summer last year, I was like, okay, I should be spending most of my time on this and, and less of my time on the other stuff, basically. But before we actually go into that guy's NFTs, because I do believe that it's the biggest, the baddest of your collections out there right now, I want everyone to take a moment to actually scroll down uh, the listeners that we have today and uh, take a look the fact that about third part of all listeners are actually from Red Guys community. So Red Guys NFT, you have a very strong community out there, Ovi, and you build it from scratch. You build it by yourself through your art, through your passion, through you being who you actually are. And I see that there are some other people who are supporting you. For example, I see Queen reacting. And I remember Queen seeing you potentially for the first time when we were at uh, NFT London. She was so happy to sit next to you. She was so happy to get energized by you. So it's it just so crazy what you build. And talking about this progress, talking about you building this community, I want to sincerely congratulate you on 10K volume that you got less than 24 hours ago for Red Guys NFTs because this is hell of achievement, man. Uh, you absolutely nailed it. So congrats on this one. Thanks. Appreciate it. So, Hannah? Uh... Yeah, I, I, I wanted, I, I really enjoyed um, listening to to your journey, um, Ovi, especially as I think it was accidental, but I, I do believe that accident, sometimes the best organizations and the best ideas are accidents. And um, it was more, I wouldn't use the word accident as more a res responding. I think you were responding to, you saw that there was a demand and you responded it to it. And not only that, but you captured 
a very real moment which just everyone related to and with wrecked guy at that time we were all feeling wrecked and that is actually I know you're very modest and humble so you wouldn't say it but it is genius it because it wasn't just the art it was capturing through your art a moment that we were all feeling desperately and and capitalizing on that and creating a community as a result um, so I think it's it's really fascinating. And I always I often think, especially when I think about you, that if it wasn't for NFTs, you'd still be like at this desk in Barclays and look what a creative talent that we have as a result of this this uh, creative element of NFTs being around. And, and it would just be a crime to not have you as an artist in the space. So it's just amazing, actually, how like to watch your journey and. One of the things, the other questions I have for you is that, you know, you are very involved with Rug Radio and Rec Guy and your your pieces themselves and this whole other ecosystem that's going on. You've got your red light district, you've got airdrops going on all the time, you've got all these different communities, DGENs, investments. How do you balance all of that? How do you prioritize? Do you ever feel overwhelmed or do you have you know a very sort of um strict system in place like how do you manage it all really and then, <laughs> do you ever think that it's getting too much yeah it's a good question i think um i think a lot of the things that i do now in web3 the a lot of the soft skills that are required to do them well i think i learned at my previous job and it's, it's funny because when i was working as a trader and when I got to the point where I was feeling a little bit disillusioned, I was like, well, I don't really have any transferable skills to go into any other job because all I really know how to, what to do, um, all I really know um, is how to trade like a very specific um, asset class. And, you know, like you just, you're just doing like the same thing over and over again every day. So I was like, well, I can't really move on to anything else, but I don't have any transferable skills. But what I realized is in that job, there are just so many different soft skills that you learn and you pick up over time that are so useful um, in uh, in other things in life. And, and one of them is Web3. And I think one of, the, one of the biggest things you have to be able to do when you're a trader, I think, is be able to multitask, be able to do lots of different things at the same time, run, do three or four things like in parallel and do them more proficiently and be able to have a conversation at the same time. And you do that like every day, 12 hours a day. And not only do you do that, you're you're when you're trading, you're like, you're actively taking risk and you're actively investing real money, like real dollars, but it can be millions of dollars a bit in, in a, an investment bank. And you're just doing that alongside doing something else. And um, it's like a very high pressure environment. So I think from that, I learned um, a very strong soft skill, which was be able to, to be able to like multitask and balance different things and do them all concurrently at the same time. And to be honest with you, like it's, it's easier doing things in web three because you know, the, the things I might be doing is like chatting on Discord, speaking on a space, drawing some art, um, responding to a DM. And all those things are like, you know, that's fine. Like, I can't really mess any of, the, any of those things up. But when you're at a bank and like you're making some, you're making a price to one customer and then like someone else calls you up and asks you for a price and the third person calls you up and asks you for a price and you're on the spot and you have to give three prices to three different people and there's like millions and millions of dollars on the line. Like that's that's a way more pressured environment. So um, to be honest with you, like even though it, it may seem on the outset that I'm doing all these things and it's quite a lot, it's actually um, 
I find it okay because I've been in a, a much more stressful environment. And um, I think it's just important to prioritize. And that's one of the things you learn um, on that job. It's like, what's, what's you, I'm, like, I'm very quick at being like, cool, these five things just came onto my plate. Um, which are the most important? Let me tackle that first. Which is the next important? Let me tackle that first. And whoever was fifth, unfortunately, they're going to have to, to wait in line until I get round to them. And it's just a case of like prioritizing, 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 and then eventually you'll get things done. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely like it's 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 not the easiest thing. And sometimes does it does it ever feel like too much? Sometimes it does. Sometimes I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh shit, I've got all these things to do by the end of the day. But um, you know, I just get through it. I think if you just get your head down and and, and crack through it, um, it we all work. we all know you get most of the stuff done during your rug radio. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I, I I absolutely do. I absolutely do. That's the biggest difference between doing that show and this show. I actually have to speak yeah, on this one. I so. know. I know. I was going to say. I was going to say. I bet you you have like a million emails, but you can't do them during this time because <laughs> we have it. But that that is hilarious. But I I can really see that you know the the background that you've had has given you that that ability to juggle and prioritize and stay calm. I would say in response to a very very fast moving um, area and in in turn as well, like even just the mechanics of your drops and and the technology. This is my last question, Nikki. I'm proud to give it to Nikki in a minute because but like. Um, you married the art with also the technicality of of all the drops and 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 just figuring all of that out. I mean, how how was the, that side of stuff? Because although you've had the trading background, you've got the art background. You know, did you did you have support with the technical side, or did you do that yourself? Like, how did you manage um, the actual sort of you know the support? Um, in terms of the smart contracts and the glitch art and the generative art and all of that side of things yeah i think um that part of it i, I find the most well maybe not the most interesting but i find it very interesting because i think for me you already have traditional art you have you already had digital art before before nfts and, and to me the thing that makes nfts interesting is the technological aspect of it and being able to apl apply being able to apply it in a way that people understand it or find it um appealing or intriguing or makes them be like okay wow like i understand now why i should buy this nft and not just buy like a picture of this nft basically so um all that stuff is super interesting and um to, to manage the technical side of things i think um look if you, if you just want to mint one of ones and mint editions it's really easy now with, with tools like manifold or um obviously like one of ones and stuff you can mint on foundation but there are lots of like very creative friendly tools that you can use now to do the smart contract stuff for you. And even before Manifold, you could have done it on OpenSea. And so there isn't really that much technicality involved there. It's pretty much like no code solutions and it's all plug and play. When you do something, when we did something like Rex Guy, which is a bit, a bit more of a generative project, um, like I, I actually wrote the code for most of it. And um, I used to, before, uh, I mentioned that I used to do a lot of digital art and stuff when I was younger. I also used to code a lot when I was younger. So basically if I was 15 years younger, um it would have been way better for me because i would have hit like crypto and nfts at the right time and i've just yeah wow i did not know that about you so yeah you're so, a coder. from what age were you coding um from like 13 13 wow. to 18 um so yeah like I, I kind of already knew how to code and to create these generative projects because they're just like they're python scripts and Py like i've never coded in python before but it's once you get the idea of how to code it, it, you can kind of pretty much do it across 
different languages because you just have to learn the syntax and again there's i mean like now you can just use chat chat gpt to code stuff for you but even mm. last year you could just google things and everything was there so i pretty much i did most of that stuff myself and then the solidity stuff was was a bit more difficult and it was definitely more time consuming and i didn't have the time to do it but i actually got my brother to uh, my brother's also a coder and i got him to i basically told him just learn solidity learn smart contracts and he went away for three months learned it came back and he was like as we were like okay cool let's do a project and originally when we were going to do rec guy i think we thought of the idea in january it was just gonna be this thing that was a free minute and i was like yeah like i told my brother like, yeah you can just do all the, the dev work for it it's fine because whatever it's a free minute no one cares about it and it's not really gonna have any value so it's just like a, it'll be a good test but by the time we dropped it in may um <laughs> obviously there was a lot of hype around it that built, built up around it and i was like man like you re we really have to sh make sure we didn't mess this up um and that was the first that was his first smart contract that he deployed and everything so um luckily everything went smoothly but yeah i used his help to, to do that that things. is crazy um, that is a crazy story <laughs> yeah yeah it was um i think uh, i don't i think to be losing the key so i think, I think can you hear me now time. all good yeah i can hear I you mean, now yeah I'm not wondering why all we ended up in Web3, like the fact that you have the background coding, even though it was some time ago, the fact that you're casually drawing, casually creating some digital art, it's like a perfect place for you, like not bank, not like financial sector, but specifically this NFT technologies that you can code, that you can draw, that you can recreate, that you can build a project based on it. It's like a perfect story for you. Yeah, I just I'm really grateful that I found Web three and NFTs because I guess you guys can gather from the things that I mentioned. It, it is it's it's things that I'm genuinely interested. It's like a it's like the perfect combination of everything that I'm genuinely interested in, everything that I feel like I have skills in, which is like um, trading, investing, the finance side of things, like the coding technology side of things, the art side of things, and it's weird. Like before NFTs the intersection of those three things didn't even exist. And um, when I was choosing what I wanted to do when I, uh, for a career when I was 18, like this concept and idea didn't even exist. And if it did, you, you, you can bet definitely I would have been pursuing a career in this. Like if, if I was 15 or 16 right now, this is absolutely what I would be pursuing because it's just like the perfect complement of everything that I'm really interested in and, and enjoy doing. And I guess I'm just very grateful that it came about and I was able to get into it at the right time. You're, it's you're so interesting. It. I'm gonna let Nikki. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna let Nikki speak. But I was just saying, it's so interesting that you're saying that, just as a mom of a 16 year old, because it's so important to get the, these these opportunities to them, and most of them just don't know about it, even though we think they do. But most of them don't. Like if you think about most, a majority of the community right now in the NFT space, I would say the average age is probably like 18 to 30, maybe, or like. 40 um but it's about getting that messaging down to younger kids so that they know that these are options you know for future careers that's really important but anyway i'm shutting up now nikki over to you <laughs> <laughs> i mean one question that i'm eagering to ask you my man is actually something that we asked mando when he was on our show about two months ago you're coming from this traditional financial sector and in specific way, it's trading for you. Are you approaching crypto and NFTs in particular from traders' standpoint or you're trying 
right now when you're already established in the space and you have specific thesis for the next five to ten years, you're trying to invest more in the projects that will give a higher return on investment going long term. What is your approach? Trading or investing? I think I started out trading things and I think I now have a longer term approach. Something that I realized, something that I realized in 2021 is I spent a lot of time buying and selling, buying and selling, buying and selling NFTs and um yeah, you know, I made good money doing it, but I would have made way more money if I just held um, all the apes that I minted, for example, or if I just held ETH, for example. And what it made me realize is like there's an opportunity to actually just like pick a few things you really believe in and have conviction in. And instead of getting stressed out, trading them back and forth, which is a very time consuming thing, by the way, because like, you have to really be all over the prices, the screens and have all the right tools to be able to act fast, et cetera. Um, it was just like, it, it was very consuming and I found it much more, like now I find it much easier to be like, cool, like I really believe in ETH. I'm just going to buy a bunch of ETH and hold it and not do anything with it. Or I really believe in Red Guy, like I'm going to buy a bunch of Red Guy and hold it and not do anything with it or whatever it is. Like, and I, I feel like if I do that, less of my time is spent on trading things day to day and I'm comfortable with what I own because those are the things that I have high conviction on. And it frees up my time to do other things, which is all the stuff that we've been doing with like art or Red Guy or DJs, Canary Labs, et cetera. And I think like that combination for me is just way more productive than spending my days trading basically. And that's how I've just consciously decided to, to set myself up. And sometimes, sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes you see people make good money on new mints or good, good money flipping stuff. Um, and you get the itch, like I'm, you know, I'm naturally a trader and you, you always get the itch to do, to do that kind of stuff. But um, I think it's important to, to, to stay disciplined. And I just don't think, I think if I did that, it wouldn't be the best use of my time. And I think I can achieve a lot more by taking like a, a longer term approach with the capital I deploy. Absolutely love hearing it. It seems like it took you a while to actually understand what is this golden middle for you to trade, to invest, how to make the, ma- the the most out of the time, out of the effort you're putting out there. Perhaps that was one of the lessons you got from uh, the last year, 2022. But what was the biggest things that you learned in the last year? Was it actually this investment slash trading thesis of yours? Or you understood something different about the space, about NFT communities, NFT projects that you haven't realized a year before? I think the what t- two things that I've learned that I think are very important um, when when looking at NFTs, and I think the first one is, and I'm, this is not this is such a cliche thing to say, and everyone knows it, but the first one is power of community, and I think you know the like board at yacht club's done really well, and it is where it is today because you have other side, you have ApeCoin, you have all these different things, but remember the the reason why that became successful in the first place was community and and that the, the the founders were very smart to lever that community into something much bigger but without that initial like early BAYC vibes which, which is what everyone talks about without that initial feeling and um flocking of people coming together and and creating that community they never would have been able to build what they what they built so in the last year 2022 when you've had this huge bear market a lot of people lose money in nfts leave the market like the number of active traders on OpenSea went from 500,000 to 
hundred thousands. That's down like eighty percent. Um, you, uh, it, it became a real test to see which NFT projects still lasted and survived, and um, because of those communities that that were around them. And I think you can probably only say that for a handful of projects. You know, I think there are a handful of projects that actually, from January twenty two to, um, or maybe let's say from like March twenty two, from from when the the crash started to December twenty two. There's only a handful of projects that actually increased in price. And those are all the projects with this, with just insanely strong communities of people that show up day in, day out and have bought those NFTs, not because they're expecting the price to go up, but they've bought those NFTs because they actually want to be a part of those communities and interact in the Discord and on Twitter and have that identity. And I think that's the most important thing when you're trying to decide what to buy. Like, Does it have these people behind it, this community behind it, these people who, um, enough people who want to own the NFT, not just because they want the price to go up and they want to sell it, but they want to own their NFT because they feel like their NFT is part of them. And that's, I think, the most important thing. The second thing I would say, which kind of leads on from that a little bit, is there are so many projects out there now with teams which are like, okay, we have this massive roadmap where we're going to build like a TV series of of this characters of, of our NFT projects, or we're going to go out there and build a metaverse game, or we're going to go out there and build a fashion brand. Um, we're going to have a P2E game and all this kind of stuff. And they have like all these points in the roadmap and we're going to launch an ERC20 token and you're going to be able to take your NFT for this token. And I think all that stuff was cool when it first came out because it was new and it was good in a, in a bull market because, you know, anything had value basically. Like any staking thing had a ton of value and you can make a lot of money doing it. But what you what I realized is that the success of these projects became very levered and, and stuck and tied to the founding team's ability to go out there and actually execute these these points in the roadmap and actually execute them successfully. And there are a lot of projects that had these like big dreams that people were very excited about. But you know, all of 2022 passed and most of these projects weren't able to deliver anything um, on, on the roadmap for, for which they had pitched. So what I realized is like when you buy some one of these projects, when you buy one of these NFTs and they're pitching this whole idea of like, we're gonna become a web three brand, we're gonna do this, 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 and this. Um, you have to know and understand that the value of your NFT is completely tied to them being successful at doing it. And the reality is a lot of people aren't very successful at doing it. And it just becomes your, your, your NFT purchase or investment has basically turned into like a VC, well not a VC, like an angel investment. Um, you're basically, <laughs> it's basically like venture capital and you're investing in the startup and you don't know anything about any of these founders. And you're just hoping that like the thing goes well because of all this hype on Twitter, which is a very dangerous, dangerous game. So I think actually like, and that's all the stuff that I was interested in buying in, in 2021. And that's all the stuff that did really well. But in 2022, it wasn't the stuff that did well. And the stuff that did well was actually art. It was actually things that defined culture. It was things that maybe had some some historical value. And we did, we did a lot of things where we sold a lot of NFTs that were based on founding teams executing. And we put them into NFTs that were actually just pieces of art or culture and like, and then like we sold Pixel Vault and Cool Cats and we bought stuff like Rare Pepes and we bought some um, one of ones and, and that kind of stuff. And I think that made me realize it was like, I don't have to, I now don't have to worry about the NFTs that I bought because they're always going to hold some kind of cultural or historical value. And um, that value is only going to increase with time. And I now, now no, no longer have to worry about, okay, like, is this founder doing the right thing? Like, where's the money going? Are they able to execute? Are they hitting the, um, all the points on the roadmap and it was a much better and actually more enjoyable way to deploy capital, I think. And 
I think you just have to be aware and cognizant of that when you deploy your own capital. And I'm not saying like every team will be unsuccessful. And obviously like we saw own a bunch of apes and Yuga stuff. And I think those guys will do well, but you have to really understand where your value comes from and understand what you're looking out for and, and where your hopes are pinned. I think when you deploy capital, and that's, that was a big change in my thinking this year. I think it's so insightful. I mean, I, I'm aware that we have vertical crypto on Miko who um, has a similar story in that she left Meta, you know, a very secure um, job doing social advising on from Instagram. She was telling us in our spaces, we had a spaces with Miko a couple of weeks ago and, and, has now created this whole ecosystem for generative art and and doing it very successfully, um, and I I really do uh, I I think what you're saying is is basically that these founders what they were doing was sort of over promising and under delivering, whereas you've you've tried to sort of err on the side of under promise and over deliver, which I think you do time and time again, um, and and that's what keeps people coming back and focusing on the art which. I think there was definitely, as you say, a shift uh, from, you know, that, that PFP frenzy at the beginning, uh, you know, of, of 21 to, to uh, better valuations in terms of the actual art and, and the people behind it um, and the communities and the investment in the communities. And I think also, like, as someone, I have um, a tech development background um, I'm, I'm used to, I have the knowledge and understanding that when you're building a technical product, it takes just a long time, like things that are technical take a long time to build. And, you know, to promise to bring out like, like this AAA cinematic game in a year, it's just not feasible. But I think that there are um, down the line, it's going to be very interesting if we look at this, you said long term over the next three to five years, some of these projects, if they have the funding, and I'm talking about big projects like Yuga Lab or Doodles, you know, it is going to be interesting to see if the dynamics shift as they do produce some really good quality uh, stuff. It just takes time and patience and very often people lose patience and they think that that's because the company's being quiet or they're not constantly delivering that they're not doing anything but I think there's a lot going on in the background um, and that's really where you're saying the community building comes in so it's a it's a very interesting uh perspective that you're sharing but while we've got you for literally another four minutes I know you've got to go on to your next uh show you'll probably be exhausted <laughs> but um, I wanted to ask you if you've got any alpha to share our community in terms of, you know, we've had some loyal listeners who stuck through the whole show, so we should reward them a bit. Like, what are your plans for this year? Anything you'd like to share with our listeners um, that you haven't shared before or anything of interest that you're looking at over the next year? Ovi? Yeah, um, no, it's, it's a good question. I think it's really tough to figure out the next steps to take from here um and with red guy I was like oh is there going to be an airdrop or like what are you guys going to do and i think um i think it's some somewhere a place where a lot of projects have fallen over is to do big airdrops and do a second mint, and then they increase the supply of their projects and it becomes very dilutive and they, they never can they can then never really get off the ground so i think for red guy like i'm not saying we'll never do something like that but I just it just needs to be at a much higher price. Like when when the apes did um, when the apes did the mutants, I think the apes were already at thirtieth floor, right? And then 
when punks did me bits, punks were already at a 25 or 30 ETH floor. And you have projects now that trade at like 0.5 ETH or 1 ETH, and they, they then go and do like a 20k airdrop, and then suddenly you have 30k in that in that ecosystem. And then they, I think they're basically doomed forever. And so for Red Guy, I think it would have to be at least above 10 ETH before we did anything like that for that. Um, and I, I, w- I would want it to be like sustained above there, you know, like not just go up there one day and then go back down. And it's the same thing with my art. Like, I don't want to do a massive open edition and just have like a ton more supply and dilute every, all the existing collectors. I don't want to just keep pumping out one of ones and editions and all that kind of stuff. So it becomes a very tricky thing. It's like you had the first year where you can actually kind of like create freely because you don't have much content and supply out there. And then the second year is like, and now I have this predic- predicament where it's like, cool, like, I could just go out there and do an open edition and loads of people would buy it and I would make a shitload of money. But um, it's a very myopic way to think and it's not something that would be long-term beneficial for me or the existing collectors. So it's definitely about like, how can I stay relevant and release new things with it actually being beneficial to existing holders and not dilutive to the supply out there? And I think the answer to that is to do things that have deflationary mechanics and you know this whole keeper stuff that I did, it involved burning some additions for a new edition and um i know there's a lot of like burn to redeem out there but most people do an open edition then they do that i didn't do the open edition part so it reduced the supply of the editions by like i don't know three percent or four percent and then wrecked cities was something that was like really cool that i did last year that i really enjoyed and i am going to do a wrecked cities too with nifty gateway at some point but i would want that to be deflationary too i want the exist the existing supply to go down after i've done it and what that does mean is that it means like i'll make I'll probably make less money in primary sales and stuff, probably make less money up front. Um, but it does mean that all the existing NFTs will hold their value, hopefully appreciate in value, and further down the line, whether it's in one year or two years or three years or whatever, um, everything that I've created actually holds and appreciates in value. And I think that will give me the ability to monetize it in other ways. And that's that's kind of how I'm thinking about it. I'm not like, how can I make as much ETH as possible this year? That's not the, That's not what I'm looking at. It's like, how can I, how can I stay relevant and create new things that actually are accretive to the existing supply out that I have out there? Whether it's Red Light District, whether it's Red Guys, whether it's um, additions, and you know, that's why we have this mechanic now for, for Red Guy, where it's like every time I do a one of one sale or addition sale, twenty percent of those profits go back in towards buying Red Guy. I think I've bought back like almost three hundred and fifty Red Guys or something like that, and we're just going to keep that going indefinitely because. That's the way where it's like, okay, I don't want people, I don't want to do like a new edition like Rec Cities 2 and all, and then Rec Guy goes down because everyone sells Rec Guy to buy that. And I don't want people to feel like um, I'm going to leave them stranded and move on to the next thing to make money. So if I create a mechanic between them, which actually drives value back to the original and Rec Guy is the one that I've picked um, there because I think it's the most important of, of everything that I've done, then I can get around that. So <laughs> I haven't really dropped any alpha there, but I think I've given you some ideas of like, how i'm thinking about each new drop that i'm doing and um that's going to be a a very important thing for me going forward and it's much more important for me to think about that this year than it was last year because you know last year i started with zero supply and this year i'm starting with um a lot more supply and and not only that just a lot more people who are involved a lot more collectors and i have people to think about now i guess the biggest alphas that people just got out from here is that ovi continues to under promise and over deliver and uh, we absolutely appreciate that because that's exactly what we need in this space i would love to end our show today with a very serious question to you my man 
you recently during the bear market or as we refer to it build market uh reached one ease with red guys lately on you reached two plus ease so you ready for the question tell me how's your tattoo doing (laughs) (laughs) it's fully healed now it's fully healed I'm four, four or five weeks uh, out and it's fully healed. But it was painful. I f- I've forgotten how painful it is to um, get tattooed like on your torso, on your ribs. And I did it. I actually did it when I was in Paris with Ian Rogers and he got his on his arm. And the guy asked me where I wanted mine. I was like, oh, I'll just put it, just put it, I'll just put it like um, slightly left of my ribs. It'll be fine. And it was just like, it was one of those moments I had in my life where it was really painful. And I was just like, why am I doing this? Like, no one has asked me to do this. No one has made me do this. I've put it, completely done it to myself. Like, why? Um, but, uh, yeah, it was good banter. So why That's not? basically around the and time. And it wasn't, it wasn't your first. It wasn't your first tattoo, was it? It's not my first. And I remember when I had my first done, which was also on my ribs, I was like, I'm literally never getting a tattoo ever again. It was so painful. And um, I had that same thought this time. But the thing is, like, once it's done and all the pain's gone and it's healed and everything, it's it's a little bit addictive. You kind of have the itch to to, to do more and get more. So um, I don't know. We'll see. The thing I'm most looking forward oh, to is... Oh, there's if... some alpha, guys. Well, the, the main alpha is if we get to a 4.2 E4, Mando's going to get his uh, his butt tattoo. Let's he's, go! I keep I get him to reconfirm it every week and he's he's fully up for it. So um, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, with, with the pace <laughs> you reached two years, it was like, what? In a week, maybe a bit more, I believe that four is during the uh, the bull market is more than doable. So, Manda, you'd rather prepare your butt. But, yeah, (laughs) what a way to end this episode. Ovi, I want to thank you from everyone. Uh, Absolutely thank you for not just being here today with us, but for being in this space for many years already. At the beginning, quietly, uh, in discussions whether I should go full-time, whether I actually believe in it, and steadily building this thesis around the space, building your community, like the fact that you actually put the tattoo of a project that you're running, it actually actually shows how bullish are you on the whole Web3 space, how bullish are you on your community, on yourself. So thank you very much for everything that you're doing, man. You're a true legend. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's a, it's a totally. pleasure to, to come on. We are, it was you. You are a legend. You are. You are a legend. So thank. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> we're, 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 we're safe. It. We're safe. No, you are a legend episode. for us for sure. And we ended this episode with Mando's butt, which I am tweeting right Whoa. now, guys. That is legendary. <laughs> I love it. Mando gonna listen to this one. Thank you, absolutely, everyone who joined us today. Nicole, Golden, Arthur, uh, John, Queen. Guys, you're amazing. Thank you, Ovi, once again. As always, Origins XYZ will be live next Tuesday, 2 p.m. GMT, where we'll have another wonderful guest. We'll have the whole squad of the Fabricant team. So make sure that you join us for this one. And as always, guys, thank you very much. We absolutely love it. See ya.